Um, today we're reading from Second Peter, um, and we're going to read the whole first chapter. So settle in. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And please leave your Bibles open at 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be looking at the first eight verses in particular this morning. And it, it is great to be here. We thank, thanks to Jared for inviting me to, to fill in this Sunday. And we, we recognise some of the young adults from the young adults camp last year. So great to see you again. And it is a great privilege to bring God's word today from this, this wonderful passage, 2 Peter chapter 1. In fact, it was 30 years ago that I became a Christian. And I have a great deal to, to thank God for in the, the last 30 years of my life and what, what he's done uh, in my life. And I came to be a Christian through partly through the ministry of, of Maidavale. So Maidavale was uh, involved with Trinity Theological College or one of the colleges that became Trinity. And so through the ministry of Les Green and Martin Spadaro, 
and, and others, Andrew Priddle, uh, I became a Christian, and, and so it's, it's been great to keep up that, that connection with the WPC. And although I've, I've got a lot to be thankful for, there's also a lot that, that dismays me as I look at our society today, and I'm sure you, you share my dismay because in the last 30 years, we've also seen some uh, terrible changes, I think, in, in, in our society. And we've seen our nation, our community, succumb to some, some awful lives that, that have done a great deal of, of damage to our, our families and our communities. For example, that, that the lie that, that marriage is nothing more than a contract between two sexual partners, or that maleness and femaleness are harmful social constructs, or that adult self-fulfillment trumps the, the basic needs of children. These are, are some of the lies that our society has been uh, receiving and believing in recent years. Also the lie that the lives of the unborn or the lives of the frail and the elderly are not sacrosanct. That the lie that it is more important that to protect feelings than to speak truth. The lie that we should return to dividing our society by race differences. And the biggest lie of all that we are not made in the image of God and in his likeness, but rather that we are the chance result of random evolutionary processes. And these lies have really led to a great deal of, of suffering and anxiety in our community. And I'm sure you would agree that as we look at the news each day, I read the news every day, and as we speak to people in our community, we can see that our, our community is really in the grip of, of a terrible and profound hopelessness and meaninglessness. And we see mental health collapsing in our community. We see self-harm increasing. And we see a lot of anger and a lot of abuse. Now, I, I gave up Facebook years and years ago. It was such a relief. But uh, I know that, that on social media that there is a great deal of anger and abuse pouring out. And underneath that anger and abuse, what do we see? Underneath the anger, we see pain and we see a lot of suffering and we see that our community is really hurting. Isn't that true? Our community is suffering and hurting. And the question I have this morning is what do we most need to bring to our community? What's the most important thing that we can bring to a community out here that's suffering, hurting? And as Christians, we shouldn't respond to the anger and abuse with more anger and abuse, but instead with compassion and sympathy because we see uh, the, the, the harm that these lies have brought to our community and we, we want to bring healing. We want to bring help to this situation. We care for our community, don't we? Isn't that why this church started a year ago? Because you care about the, the community of High Wycombe? And you've come here because you want to bring something 
a precious gift that God has given you and you want to share that with your suffering and broken community. And what is the most important thing? What is the greatest gift that you can give to the people out here? Well, we see from 2 Peter chapter 1 that the greatest, greatest gift that you can give is godliness, Christ-likeness. Those two things are the same, aren't they? Godliness and Christ-likeness. These are the most important things that you can bring to your family, your school, your university friends and to a, a community that is suffering and hurting. And we see that right here in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3 where Peter says that God's divine power has been granted to, has granted to us all things that pertain to what? To life and godliness if, if you can have the, your bible open in front of you so you can see this for yourself that would be wonderful god's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness god's given you all you need for what for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence god has called you if you're a christian he's called you to reflect his glory and his what his excellence that could also be translated his his virtue his virtues of, of love and, and mercy and grace and truth and wisdom god has called you to reflect these things to each other and to your community. Have a look at the next verse. Thanks, Jen. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So are you following what Peter's saying? He has granted to you precious and very great promises so that, why? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. God has done something wonderful for us, for his people, so that we can share in his divine nature. That doesn't mean that we become little gods or goddesses, not at all. It means, again, that we begin to reflect the character and the attributes of God. God has saved you so that you can begin to shine forth his attributes of love, grace, wisdom, mercy, compassion, and service. Isn't it amazing that, that, that when God the Son came to this earth, he said the Son, of, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these are the divine attributes and excellencies, virtues, that God wants you to shine forth. For this very reason, verse 5, thanks, Jen. For this very reason, for what reason? For the reason that, that, that God has, has saved you to shine forth his attributes. For this very reason, 
what? There's something we must do. We must make every effort. And Peter doesn't say to make considerable effort or to try, yeah, let, 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 let's try to try hard here. He's not saying that. He's saying make every effort, total focus, all in, to supplement your faith with these attributes or these virtues. Thanks, Ken. And so that, that's, that's what I want to focus on now. How, if the most important thing for your community is that you are godly and Christ-like, that you are a bright shining light in the darkness, that you are like salt, which acts as a preservative, when things are rotting and corrupting around us. This is what Jesus has called us to be. If you are going to be this kind of person, and, and, and Je Jesus has saved you so that you will be this kind of person, and your community needs you to be this kind of person, then you need to make every effort to supplement your faith with seven qualities. Seven qualities. And I want to talk briefly about each one. But we begin with faith. We begin with faith. And faith, of course, is believing in the truth about who Jesus is and what he said and what he did. And if you're a Christian, you believe who Jesus is, that he's the, God, the son of God, and you believe what he said and you believe in what he did. But if you're a Christian, it doesn't stop at faith, does it? It can't. In fact, there's loads of people who believe that Jesus existed and even believe that the Bible is a fair record of what he said, but they're not Christians. And the Bible says that even, even the demons believe that Jesus is God's son and they tremble. But faith in Jesus moves beyond belief into these seven qualities that Peter is about to describe. And the first quality is this. Strive to supplement your faith, says Peter, with virtue. Virtue. Or that could also be translated as excellency. And it's a, again, it's a word that Peter uses to describe God's own characteristics. Look back at verse 3. His divine nature, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and virtue. Excellence. It's exactly the same word here. And so, my friends, Peter, Peter is saying, he's saying what James said, isn't he? What did James say in chapter 2 of his letter? He said that faith without works is what? It's dead. It's a dead faith. And so if you have a real living trust in Jesus Christ, then that faith is going to lead to a, a striving to want to be like Christ and to echo Christ and to manifest Christ-likeness in your life and in your relationships with others. Strive to supplement your faith, says Peter, with virtue, with 
excellence. That's the first one. The second one, Peter says, strive to supplement your virtue with knowledge. That's the second thing, knowledge. If we're going to grow in Christ-likeness, then we need to grow in knowledge. And how many of us used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I've heard Christians say, well, isn't that all we need to know? Isn't that enough? Don't we just need to know that Jesus loves me and that the Bible tells me this? Well, God apparently has told us a whole lot more than that, hasn't he? 1,189 chapters in here. And so God wants us to know a lot more than that bare fact that Jesus loves us. Because we need to know how Jesus loves us. We need to know how he loves us when we face trials and difficulties and when we face the shocks of life. How does he love me when my friends hate me? How does Jesus love me then? How does Jesus love me when, I'm, when my body is sick and suffering? How does Jesus love me when I'm in poverty? How does Jesus love me when I'm dying? How does Jesus love me when I'm in the grave? And so we need to know. God, is, God has not sent us into the world with a slogan and a children's song, but with a mighty Bible. And we need to know this if we are going to be Christ-like and shine forth the truth of Christ to our community. We need to grow in knowledge. And that's why one of the reasons we come to church. We worship God in song, we pray to him, we remember the death of Christ and we listen to God and we grow in knowledge and we have Bible studies and we need to be reading the word and growing in knowledge. And the third thing, Peter says, strive to supplement your knowledge with, what's the next attribute? It is self-control. And self-control is, is almost a swear word in our community at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost the only sin in our community is self-control, that we don't give full vent to what's in our mind or, or to every desire, that to restrain what we may feel we want to do is somehow harmful to us and to others. But the Bible teaches us that self-control is vital, it's a godly attribute, it means to, to hold yourself in so that when the desire to do this or to do that comes, and sometimes those desires can come fiercely, temptations are described in the Bible as being like a fire, it, it, it can be fierce, and yet to be Christ-like is to learn to control those desires the, to control our tendency to greed, to control our tendency to anger, to control our tendency to sexual immorality, to control our tendency for uh, applause, for wanting people to love us and to like us. These are the, the sinful desires that we with the work, with the help of Christ and the power of Christ, we begin to grow in self-control. All Christians must practice restraint 
self-denial, holding ourselves in. And to self-control, Peter says, we must add steadfastness. Steadfastness. And what does that mean? It means standing firm. And it was used in the ancient world to describe soldiers who had to stand firm when the enemy was rushing down on them. And, and I always think of the, in, in this context, I think of the Roman soldiers who had to stand in their ranks and we can imagine the, the fierce Germanic barbarians rushing down on them with their, their great axes and swords and what was the one job of the Roman soldier at that point when the enemy is rushing down on you? Stand firm. Don't break ranks. Don't turn around and run. Stand firm with others around you. And this is a vital attribute of growing in Christ-likeness. And Paul, he certainly had to stand firm, didn't he? And we read in 2 Corinthians 6 how he faced. What were some of the hardships that Paul faced? Well, he didn't have a home, did he? He's constantly on the road, he faced uh, sleeplessness, poverty, abuse, floggings, stonings, hunger. And Paul said, in 2 Corinthians 6, we commend ourselves by great endurance in these situations. And that's what it means to stand firm. That when the hard things happen to us, that we don't throw up our arms and say, oh, what's the point in being a Christian? What's the point of following Christ? What's the point in going to church? What's the point in going to Bible study when these hard things are happening in my life? No, we, we stand firm. We keep going. We stand in line, not just for our sake, by the way, but for our Christian brothers and sisters. The sixth attribute is what Peter calls godliness. Godliness, which is awesome respect accorded to God, which is having a great love for God, and it is wanting to reflect the qualities of of God. And by the way, when, when a church is, is looking to find leaders, too often, what kind of qualities are we looking for in a leader? Too often we're looking for charisma, intelligence, um, talent, uh, a person with people skills, that kind of thing. But the Bible says that the number one quality for leaders is godliness, Christ-likeness. That's the number one attribute we should be looking for and fostering in our leaders. And by leaders, I'm talking about elders, deacons, Sunday school leaders, youth group leaders, Bible study leaders. In fact, every Christian wants to be and must be godly and growing in godliness. The, the seventh attribute that Peter says that we must strive to grow in is 
what he calls Philadelphia. That's the original world word. And Philadelphia means brotherly affection, brotherly love. And as Christians, we know, don't we? We know that love is not just a feeling. And we're very clear on that because when we listen to the popular songs and, and watch the TV shows and so on, we get the impression that love is a, a feeling that you have for someone else. But we know as Christians that love is about sacrifice. It's about putting the other first. It's about denying ourselves for the good of the other. Love is a verb. It's something not just that we feel. It's something that we do. And as Christians, we know that. We understand that. But it's not less. That doesn't mean that we deny affection and showing affection to one another. And uh, I mentioned before, we, we had the privilege of, of living in Paris for 10 weeks, and we attended a church there. And in that church, I had to learn to show affection to other Christians. And how do you think they show, how do, how do men in France show affection to each other? <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> La bise, they kiss each other. On the cheek, you've seen that, right? And uh, I thought, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but uh, the pastor of the church, <laughs> you're doing this. And so he taught me la bise, and th this is what we had to do. We had to show affection, not to say, not just, uh, you know, think that we liked others, but to show that we liked others. And, and so we had to learn to do that kiss on the cheek. And in fact, in the Bible, it says... Uh, at least three or four times, Paul finishes his letters by saying, uh, greet one another with a godly kiss. And I'm not saying we must, you know, after church, start kissing each other, but, uh, but the Bible is saying that we need to not just love each other, but to show that we love each other, to show that we are happy to be together, to smile when we see each other and to enjoy fellowship and morning tea and, and meals together and, and, and to to be warm with one another. This is a part of being Christ-like. This is a part of being godly, showing affection to each other. And the final attribute that we must strive to grow in is agape. It is that, that self-sacrificial love that Christ showed for us when he denied himself for the good of his people. Well, Jen, can we have, uh, just, just to recap this, can we have verses, work your magic, verses five to seven? Can you do that? Yes, please. No, okay. <laughs> Not so magical. Okay. But we can, we can follow this right. So, my, my, my friends, the, 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 the big point today is... crying baby, but <laughs> suffering community, right? Suffering community. God's put you here in a, a hurting community and the greatest gift that you have to offer this community is Christ-likeness. That, that, that the, the, the attributes of Christ will shine out of you, that you will, this church will be like a lighthouse 
in a dark community, that this church will be salt in a community that is morally decaying because of the lies that we are hearing 24-7 and, and too often believing. And so, and, and here is how you grow in godliness, says Peter, make every effort. You've got to be all in. There must be total devotion, says Peter, too. Supplementing your faith with virtue. And remember, virtue is the excellencies of God, growing in those excellencies, and supplement your virtue with knowledge, growing in your knowledge of God's mighty living word, and supplement your, your knowledge or add to your knowledge self-control, holding yourself in, holding in those, those desires to do what is wrong. As Christians, we, we grow in self-control and add to your self-control steadfastness, standing firm when everything seems to be collapsing around you, stand firm and add to your steadfastness godliness, manifesting the attributes of Christ and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And I'll finish by saying that, that, that uh, I, I've lost count of how many times I've, I've heard Christians say, uh, you know, what have I got to offer? What have I got to offer? You know, I'm not musical, I'm not an upfront person, or I'm, I'm, too, I'm old, or I'm too young, or uh, I'm not that smart, or, or whatever. I've, I've heard lost count of how many times Christians have said to me, what have I got to offer? What use am I? Well, from the youngest to the oldest to the, from the, the least healthy and able-bodied to the fittest, to the, the least intelligent to the most intelligent, we can all grow in godliness and we can all manifest Christ-likeness. This is something we can all grow in and this is the greatest need. The greatest need for your families, your own families, and for each other, your church family. It's the greatest gift that you can give to your church is to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and to devote yourself to that and to make every effort to grow in these attributes that we see here in Second Peter. Let me pray, please. Heavenly Father, how exciting to see a new church here. And uh, we know that, that this city needs hundreds and hundreds of new churches that believe your word and proclaim the light of your word. And today I thank you for High Wycombe Church. And I thank you that, that uh, many people decided to leave the security and comfort of the big church to come out here and to start a new work. And Lord, you know that the heart of many here is that this be a church that indeed extends the love of Christ to a broken and hurting community. And I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that it will indeed 
be that like us. A bright light of truth in a world of darkness and lies. And I pray that it will be salt, that it will be different, that it will stand out, that it will be a preservative in a community that is succumbing to moral corruption. And Lord, please deal with us, each one of us individually. Lord Jesus, in your mercy and grace, ignite a passion in our hearts to grow in Christ-likeness. We pray that we may indeed make every effort to devote ourselves, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, to growing in Christ-likeness for the sake of your church, for the sake of your name, for the sake of those who are hurting and broken around us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.